then I, you know, I always would photograph around holidays, uh, Christmas or Easter. See, always, I mean, that's an Easter always thing, saying, yeah. And it really it has several levels, you know, the reflection of the woman walking, but cut off. And what Maholi had a name for this, he called it, if I recall it, it was, um, I don't recall it, I keep wanting to say pluralism, maybe it is, but where two objects have a common contour line. Mm. You know, Polymorphism the one, or something. The one edge, you know, serves both the shapes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what happens there, and I like that. Which shapes are you referring to? I'm referring to the figure here. The yeah. reflective figure? Yeah, the refle end of the reflective figure being the side of the face. Of the, of the mannequin. mannequin. Yeah. And all these eggs, of course, are fraught with all kinds of possibilities. Yeah, oh, yes. And this, you know, on a metaphorical base, probably was one of the most exciting ones for me, because uh, the idea you know, these two red balls, two, not balls, but two red breasts mm -hmm. up in the corner there and the bras and this dried up old lady. I mean, it made me laugh and cry. Yeah, this is a real, this is a real metaphor for women's liberation even in a, you know, to look at it today, could be read that way. Back in and out, you know, kind of. It's, yeah, well, it's a lot of rich. Well, it has, I, I don't know if I, you know, would quite buy that. Uh, well, I mean, sort of the, you know, the way in which women have been victimized by their own kind of style, in a sense, in the past, you know. That yeah, well, uh, it, it does have to do with that issue, like, you know, the binding up of women, the tight bras that they used to have to wear. And I grew up, see, my mother wore a corset. I grew up and saw corsets drying all over the place. And later, you know, used to go with girls that had mono butts. They wore girdles. <laughs> mono butts. <laughs> You know, and you couldn't tell one cheek from another. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, oh, that's all changed in my lifetime, you see. Yeah. So this does have something, it has a lot of things to do, but it, it has to do with the sexuality of breasts and... Uh, what's attractive and what's not, kind what's, of. Yeah, what is uh, fashionable, what is cliched, what is frustrating, what is fantasy. Uh, it's to me it's, it's a, rich, a very rich, rich thing. picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the last one of those. Oh, that I, that's uh, Ben Heinemann, the president and uh, chairman of the board of uh, Chicago Northwestern. And behind him? And behind him was a Northwestern thing. Now, I don't know why this is at Eastman House, but this print is at Eastman House. I don't know either. This would have been one of many commercial jobs, I assume. This was a portrait for... Time, I'd, probably. No! I think Fortune. Oh, Fortune, yeah. I think. It looks like a more of a Fortune picture. And uh, that was nice. That was the beginning of a long friendship with Ben Heinemann. Uh, what little money I've had was guessing on my own judgment of what, um, right out of my photography, like uh, I've always bet the jockey in stocks kind of, Ben Heidemann, I made quite a bit of money uh, buying stocks of uh, North Chicago Northwestern. And the one I made the most money was I used to photograph every five years then the, the, an international machine show in which Fortune allowed me to pick what I thought were the 10 most advanced machines in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And so I did, but then I, I mean, a couple of times, I bet my, put my money where my mouth was, mm -hmm. as it were. Uh, where I was. <laughs> yeah, my brain. And uh, I, for instance, I bought Chicago, uh, Kearney and Trekker when they came out with numerical controls. And uh, that was a good bet. Made a lot of money on it. Which just suddenly reminded me before it just slips out. Mm -hmm. About to slip out. Oh, I know. I did a fortune cover on automation. Mm -hmm. It was called automation then. And uh, the cover is Arthur Siegel. It's a big switch, a stepping switch. Now, when that is, I can't remember. We can track back, probably. Mm -hmm. um, mm. But then I, what I did was to go to Cleveland and other places. Uh, I learned all about automation. And then I set up, in essence, uh, an automation system, what co would consist of an automation system, and photographed it. So I learned a great deal. See, mm -hmm. that was part of the excitement of my doing photography to me. Did a little of everything. Meatpacking, uh, uh, automation. Uh. Yeah, but that, that was one of, the re one of the reasons I could do it was because was, it was very exciting to me. I mean, it, it was an impossible job photographing these damn big machines in the convention halls. I used to take, you know, four by five camera and lights on strobe and slaves and all kinds of things. Or I'd shoot natural light and, I don't know, it was a real pain, but uh, it was exciting. Mm -hmm. I mean, who has responsibility for picking the 10 best machines? Yeah, it's amazing that they let you, you'd think there would be some writer type who would do that. Yeah, and... No, it wasn't. That was mine. I made some damn good judgments. Now, I consulted with people. Sure. You know. Well, that's half of the battle making good judgment. That's right. Well, it was just like that Chicago Night series in Fortune. I, it was my idea. I suggested it and then uh, found out what industries had to run 24 hours a day in order to survive. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's another one that's a... <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's Mayor Daly. And you'll notice he has a tremendous double chin. And the reason for that, where was that from? This is also at Eastman House. You're kidding. <laughs> no. A print? Yeah. I, there was a picture of Mary Daly published in around 57 or so in time, and I don't know if this is it. Could very well be. Yeah, well, I did. Oh, dear. Uh, <clears throat> for Fortune, incidentally, I edited. I was the editor of a whole portfolio on Chicago a promotion, uh, you know, where they sold space, and mm -hmm. just it was a special uh, insert, as it were. I was the editor, and I got writers, and I just was the editor. So, I'm telling you that because I was a very sophisticated guy by then. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, with Daly, I can't remember if this, I did work on, on a uh, cover story for time. And I kept telling Daly to lean back, uh, lean forward. And he kept wanting to lean back. And what I was trying to do was get rid of his double chin. But instead of that, he kept doing what you see there, which gave him several double chins. If I was going to photograph him, with my camera higher and him leaning forward, he wouldn't add any double chins. But he was, you know, the mayor, and so we'd <laughs> shot it the way he wanted, which was absolutely the worst way. But I shot him in color and, you know, black various and white, times. Various times, yeah. yeah.
Now oh, that's one of the Mies van der Rohe things. Do they have a printer on it? Yeah, this is, this is also from Oh, really? Mies I, gee, yes. I don't know where they got it, but... Uh, I don't know either. I don't know where these came I think from. a lot of them came in at 67 at uh, some sh at some exhibit, perhaps. I don't know. They're mostly accessioned in 67. So yeah. this would have been uh, I don't done know. before that, certainly. Right. Well, that's Mies van der Rohe. I did old things, and I was going to show you some other pictures of Mies van der Rohe. Uh, the, when he died in the catalog, uh, when a whole booklet was done for the show at the Museum, our Chicago Art Institute, they used one of my pictures of Mies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and here's another. I knew Mies; we'd been quite friendly. Here's another thing. I don't know what this is from. This is some commercial job, I assume, illustrating. Yeah. Oh, I know. It eye was, examination. Yeah, right. I did a booklet for House of Vision, and this is one of the pictures from it. I always liked this kind of picture because. I thought, you know, again, it's very surrealist. It reminds me now, and I never thought of it until now, of that picture of Cartier-Bresson's and looking out the peak hole, the guy with the glass that has a reflection. Mm-hmm. And it's a number seven, like, yeah, on the door? Yeah, right. And there are two couple versions of it. Yeah. And seeing there are a couple versions of it, what happens to the concept of the decisive moment? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, let's see into that. Yep. Well, we... Uh, yeah, give me another. Um, Can I take it on you? Yeah. There's one right there, I think, yeah. I think we'll get one like this. Obviously, today's going to be one of those days. A two cassette day, my God. Never had a two cassette day. It's history we're making. Um, now, this is the beginning of the Fit to Print. Yeah. The story of that, of course, is. Now typically seagull, I think. <laughs> we're up to about 62 here with these. Yeah. Uh, and as you know from the, the my account book that I'm showing you, I'm very busy, you know, doing all kinds of things, but I still am doing a thread, you know, running through of my own things. Mm -hmm. And it struck me, uh, you know, looking through some of the... Uh, Magazine section, primarily, of the New York Times, Sunday magazine section, that these pictures had blended, you know, into the kind of montages that I had made earlier. Just as you turn the page. Yeah, just as you turn the page. So I then made a whole, start clipping, just pulling out pages, and then I started printing them. And uh, they were enormously fascinating to me. And so I made a, quite a number of them. And uh, I called them fit to prints, as you noticed my label. From the New York Times. Yeah, because the model of the New York Times is all the news that was fit to print. <laughs> so that's what those were. Now, interesting enough, I, I uh, sold some of these. And uh, these were some of the things that I showed Bob Heineken when he was on his sabbatical. if he really would recall it, but uh, when, he certainly saw these. When was that, roughly? Or when Were you teaching again by then? Cause it must I don't know. Whenever he had had a sabbatical, he came through. Oh, this was much later, I think. Uh, you were at Harvard one summer after he had been there, the summer before. Yeah. But it, was, it was before that. No, way before that, you see, because when I came back from Harvard, I was at Harvard in 68, 69, 71. And before that, he was much later, maybe. 72 or something, or 73 is when maybe. he went there. 73, I know he was there. Yeah. Well, I was amazed, it must have been 68 or something, that he had a show at Eastman House. And I came back, 
and saw these pictures. Well, right, some of his things uh, were in it called uh, Are You Re... Are You... Are... It was Are You Real, but it was the are veil dropped off. Yeah. It's kind of like fit to print in a sense. Yeah. It's a fragment of a... And uh, I was just amazed to see them. Well, let's look through some of these. these yeah. Are... That's the, you know, Butcher, and he gets all mixed up with other things. <laughs> yeah, Butcher and a cute little Disney figure here or something yeah. about to be Butcher. Oh, they're fun to look at. See, and this one really made me laugh when I made it. It's a picture of a rocket going up and a war bomb. But that that's all my, you know, just seeing that these were two different it's things. It says one to a customer. It's one a real, to a customer, It's a real yeah. uh, band bomb picture just discovered. Yeah. And this one, I don't know, again, now isn't that interesting? This has to do with that word thing. Oh, very much, yeah. Yeah, because without, you know, the, all these little panties, mm -hmm. uh, it's not very funny. Uh, to me, this is kind of a funny picture. It's all seven of the most stubborn spots. Now, that had something to do with... Oh, probably menstrual spotting or so. orgasm spotting or, you know, several different kinds of spots on panties. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was funny. <laughs> and this was really wild. I don't remember what it was. Well, this is even an article by Alan Lerner you can read. It says <laughs> Oklahoma or something, and then here's this. These forms on the other, you know. Kind of Merged together, yeah. Curious figure. And this, the, the baby got inside the woman. It's, uh, you know, it's a fur coat ad, and then there's a baby, hidden. a baby hidden there. It's sort of, now that I look at it, it's got the same kind of feeling as Cartier-Bresson's picture of the woman walking on the street, the early Spanish thing, where there's a baby inside that is sort of covered over with a semi-transparent cloth. So it looks like a womb-like thing, hmm. which I've always liked. I mean, it's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wait, is this another one of these? I guess maybe I have two of those. Well, I just adored Karl Marx in this picture. <laughs> Are these people having Karl Marx on the wall? Yeah, <laughs> isn't. It's not what they had planned. No. Originally. Well, they're different, you know, very high-class society. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's outside. Okay, let's put it in right. Just pull it out. And now I'm going to do this. Yeah. No, that's the next one. Let me go back. Let me go back to this before we uh, before we get the order all confused for the tape. Okay, now this is the one that was sideways. Yeah. Well, I liked the combination of the very organic fruit-like shapes and, and the highly mechanical uh, car, geometrical car shapes. Delivering a lot of fruit. Well, this one really knocked me out. Now, that was taken, I believe, at the funeral of Malcolm X or All these somebody. Yeah. yeah, it may be, even have Malcolm X in it. That may be Malcolm X. But then this silly little rocker-like drawing in it, you know, which looks like part of it. Uh, yeah, it blend, it's very, nice space for yes, it to blend it in. it worked. You see, on a pictorial basis, it worked fine. They just, 
it just seemed all like it was that's the way the, the illustration for the paper was supposed to work with no meaning you know mad meaning or these kind of things it's a bullfighter yeah maybe that's a comment on the writing in the paper <laughs> I don't know a lot of these are unspeakable pictures Miss Rheingold yeah and isn't it interesting that somebody's done a whole series of ads right now in color uh, oh there are several a couple campaigns with large figures in the big ship you know, in an ocean, mm. a person are coming out from a transparency. A transparency. Kind of uh, in fact, there's a whole bottle too coming out of the sea, very large. Uh, mm. It's that kind of thing. All right. Well, let's go on to. Uh, okay, let's go. Another one of these. Yeah. Well, it's kind of silly. You know, it looks like the. I don't know, somehow that's Jackie Kennedy got in the, the, the dog's brain. <laughs> now this is the end, another one. These are these are a couple of sort of random things in a sense from this. Where did this come from? This is from Eastman House. It's dated 65. Ah. It's number 132 on my list here. And uh, it's just a high contrast uh, nude, I assume. Mm -hmm. I don't remember it at all. Maybe it's not yours. <laughs> Maybe it's not. I have to go look, look closely at the handwriting on the back of it. That's see. not. No, this is a photogrammic Photo. thing called uh, Seascape. Yeah, that's in the collection of the Exchange National Bank. Yeah, this and was what, illustrated. Yeah, it? one of Sam Sachs' favorite pictures. That's one of the pictures he had. One of the three pictures I think he had in his office. Dating which was very nice. Yeah. And now here I have the three... Uh, oh, damn. Oh, yeah, all right. You're okay. Three of these. Yeah. I'm gonna try and focus this. It's uh, three lucidograms, and you, uh, I think, wanted to say something about. Well, I, you know, I made a start making uh, quite a number of these things, and um, very consistent with that crowd shot and small dots and the idea of little things going together to make larger configurations mm -hmm. and I became interested, you know, informally interested in the idea of perception and the after images and fatigue, which always been interesting. But then I tried to start to make images, reducing it to, you know, just using dots mm -hmm. to make the the material. How are these actually constructed? Are they like pegboards or something that you're I just used some material that enabled me to give a get a negative and positive dot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea of the pictures was to, uh, as I gradually got into it, I became, became more and more varied, and I introduced other kinds of you know, levels, just like in the nude, you know, with a shape with texture in it, I began to introduce other kinds of textures, actually, or forms into these configurations. But basically, what I was trying to do was I was trying to produce a picture that was absolutely organized, that you'd remember the picture, but you couldn't remember how it looked, excepting in a general way. You couldn't really remember the image. You itself. could not remember. It would be impossible to remember the image. And not only that, but any move that you would make in terms of your head or blinking your eye would change the image. So there was a very active image instead of all the static images Mm -hmm. that have, you know, been uh, in 
photography. The way that you created the gestalt in your own mind would be subject to change over over time, is what you're saying, short times. Short times, yeah, but dealing with some of the physiological characteristics of seeing now. Known, I know about an afterimage, you know, fatigue, retinal fatigue. I know about, you know, certain kinds of negative and positive forms mm -hmm. and how they, you know, kind of work after all these years. So they're extremely active on the visual, perceptual. Right, they're very powerful and probably the most powerful images I've made in terms of, of uh, an activated image. And uh, the, they are supposed related to Vasarelli and, you know, some of the op art that was that uh, you know has been done but they're very different too uh, for instance the Vasarelli well I don't go into that but in my images every one of these things every little element is different just like the one of the tiles mm -hmm. you see so that that's one aspect you can look at these things if you're if you're interested in the fun of seeing as opposed to the fun of subject matter, mm -hmm. of pieces of the world, you know, of collecting the world, then these pictures will intrigue you very much. Mm -hmm. If you're very sentimental, you know, nostalgic, these pictures won't bore you, but they will be probably threatening because you don't have the, the uh, crutch of subject matter. The subject matter is meaningless. It's reduced to zero which is what I was trying to do. I was trying to see if I could make pictures that were very exciting visually and which would be very rich. And the last ones I made where I got some more dimensionality oh, began the with, that we were looking yeah, at. Yeah, the later ones. Amazing. Uh, that was a whole other ball game. They have an object quality, but there's no object. That's right. Yeah. I just have one picture here yeah. of a Chicago building, and again, it's really Yeah, that's the, that's the federal building, uh, Mies van der Rohe. And it's, again, it's typical, you see, what we were just talking about. Absolutely. There's very little difference between this photograph and that photogram and the photograph of mm -hmm. tiles and uh, the crowd shot. Yeah, right, and the, yeah, all kinds of things all through. And that picture kind of, in a sense, is standing for... Uh, a whole group of work that was published that, that Chicago's famous buildings thing. Actually, I have a lot of slides of those, but I, when I got all these other things from you, I just took them out because oh. there's no point looking, I think, at every one of those. No. Means. no, no. But maybe you might remark about something about that work, the, the architectural landmark. Uh, well, that came about because I don't know what year, what did, what year did that come out? 65 is the first edition of that. Well, that's, that has confused me. I was thinking about that last night. I looked at the date. And I must have been—I must have been teaching part time with Aaron. Is that right? Um, that's what that your that book would suggest, the, the ledger book. Because I—I mean, I yeah. Well, that's what surprised me. I—I I just have repressed that I worked part time with Aaron before you were before '66. And I don't know how long. Maybe we can discover it there. But I, obviously, I did because I got paid for teaching. Yeah. It says teaching, and that's authentic. What's in that? There's no you know book. Um, so what happened was I was part-time teaching, doing all the other stuff here, and asked me to come full-time over Dublin, and uh, so I did. Well, one of the problems I gave, and one of the problems Aaron gave, 
one of the problems that was in the curriculum was to photograph, uh, you know, architecture. You know, we always had problems dealing with architecture because it's an important part of photographic mm -hmm. uh, work. And Aaron had gotten involved with, uh, you know, the whole Sullivan thing, um, which, you know, will culminate in a book or something, Richard Nichols, which terrific. Richard Nichol and I were very good friends. Yeah, I had some of his slides from that book also, which I had. Yeah. Irene Houston boys used to go sailing with him. He constantly sent me postcards. and He was the first one to go to Harvard, I think, to teach. Uh, Len Gittleman, who was a student from the Institute, taught there. Um, I gave a, a um, problem where I got the list of of uh, no, I, I said to pick out some famous building, make a picture of it. It was the whole beginning of it. I gave a problem in class, and uh, and uh, then you know we they made some pictures, and then um, I found a list of Chicago's landmark buildings, just a you know two page bent over folded list. thing list. And that was, there had been no book, no popular guidebook at all. And one of my questions from the time I first came in 38, I kept asking the architects and people I met, and I'd always been interested, you know, in architecture. And I kept trying to find out where in the hell these buildings that Chicago was theoretically famous for, where were they, who did them, and when were they done? And I could never find it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was scattered in all kinds of books like Randall, and but there was no, no, you know, book that had all this information. So I tried to get the students to photograph this list of buildings. Well, being students, they all pooed out, you know, very rapidly. So Irene and I then spent. By that time, Irene and I were married, you know, and had kids, whatnot. Um, Irene and I spent over 200 days photographing uh, these buildings, the, the list. And then came the coincidence of interest, the uh, Chicago Landmark Commission, there was a man named Sam Lickman and a city planner who worked for the city, Ira Bach, who was a friend of mine, and very close to Mayor Daley. Uh, when they found out what I was doing, they asked if they could join in, as it were. Well, there wasn't anything they could particularly do. I had what I needed. But then, uh, Ira needed the kind of glory. So, Irene and I worked, we put this thing all together, and then I went to the Graham Foundation with a proposal that we do a guidebook connection with the, the city, they would put up some money, the Graham would put up some money, and we would let the University of Chicago Press publish it because I wanted to do a good job mm -hmm. and I didn't want it to be expensive. And the Graham Foundation would give money to the University of Chicago Press so that the price was low. So it came
your royalties? Yeah, my royalties were something like 7% of the wholesale price. Well, it really was not... I've been kind of dumb about some areas of finance. I didn't realize that one could get a contract where you got 10% of the retail price, for instance, which would have been a sizable amount. I got some money from the uh, Graham Foundation to cover my out-of-pocket expenses, as it were. Um, if I had taken it and ran it through a commercial enterprise, I could have made a lot of money. I should have made a lot of money. That should have really made a lot of money for me. I didn't. And, uh, but it was very successful. It did exactly what I wanted to. Namely, I'd go downtown and I'd see Germans and all kinds of people looking up at buildings holding my book. Mm -hmm. And I allowed Ira to write the preface as if he really had something to do with it. He had very little to do with it. And I was wow. made the editor, you see. But I pulled it all together. Well, see, and, it comes across in the, in the book as though they sort of retained you after they had this great idea going. That's baloney. <laughs> it was all in place. And it was done as a favorite Ira who politically needed this kind of glory. Yeah. He, Ira since has brought out his own book, you know, Walks in Chicago. It's very good. Where, walking tours. Yeah, right? walking tours themselves for $7.95. And I, you know, I guess now it's in the third edition now. Well, my book was reviewed all over the world. It was something the first time anybody had really pulled together who, what the buildings were, who did them when. Mm -hmm. And I got some friends like Duncan, who was a sociologist that's dead, and the, the historian from Northwestern, you know, to write essays. About right, the, the essays that are in the second edition. Well, they were in the first edition. I guess there's more in the second yeah. edition. And uh, Carl, Carl uh, West, uh, Webster uh, wrote the descriptions of the building. In the later edition, Carl Condit does uh, some things. And uh, Duncan was my choice. Webster uh, was recommended to me. I didn't know him. Um, anyway, the book was very well reviewed in New Delhi and Tokyo and Dublin. Uh, it was a neat book. Then in the next edition, you see, I guess it was the next edition, we got John Massey, who was an excellent designer, totally redid the thing. Oh. So it's much... Oh, and I also, you see, for instance, I mean, it was only my personal relationships with people. Uh, I worked with George Danforth. He had his students go and make these measured drawings of these buildings. Oh, all the planned drawings. Yeah, which if you had to pay commercially would have been on $100,000 or something. The plans... The plans were not in the first edition? Uh, of the, uh, you know, where they were and everything went into the... This was done, kind of map number one. The two, these were made... Uh, I think Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill did them as a favor to me. The, the, the overall location yeah, maps? Yeah, the overall location maps. I've forgotten what the next edition was like. Now, one of the problems here, you see, with the city, which I 
let them do, but was really not in favor of, was that, you see, that Chicago's famous buildings, architectural landmarks and other notable buildings, they wanted to put in things that were historically important but of no architectural merit, which we did in some cases, like St. Patrick's Church. Hmm. See, that's a political move. Those are in there because of the politics, Chicago politics. There are a number of them. Uh, very different from the Central Cold Storage Warehouse. I mean, this, most of these are architecturally important buildings. Yeah. And that's where it's all getting confused, and that was already the beginning. You see, now, with all these art councils, the thing is totally politicized. And that was an early sign of it, you see. Mm. And if you did the same book today, they've already made landmark buildings of, you know, various Catholics this or Croatian that or something, and it's getting all mucked up. I mean, maybe... It may be good history, you know, it's important, but I think it's a different kind of, of uh, viewpoint on architecture. Yeah, it's not architectural. That's right, and it mixes things up, and that's what's going on in the arts, including photography. Okay, do you want to take a break now yeah. and, then, and then talk about, uh, you want to keep rolling? Yeah. Okie doke. Well, let's talk about how you got back to the ID. Mm. That's the... Uh, one of the key interests here. You obviously you were teach you were around you were in Chicago. Yeah, I was in Chicago and I was a good friend of of uh, Aaron all the time. Uh, even though I wasn't at the school or anything, we used to see each other. And I used to see when Harry and was still here. I'd see Harry. And now Harry left in around sixty one. Yeah. Um, and so Aaron was left kind of high and dry without a second guy there of some importance or some stature or some commitment or something. So I began, I don't really know, remember the exact date of teaching part-time here. And we were a wonderful team and then I became a full-time guy. And Aaron is, a, to me, a wonderful photographer, a fascinating person, and uh, he has his you know, limits as we all do. But uh, Aaron and I, I love Aaron. I feel very warm towards him. He's had, you know, marital problems up to your ears. and uh, But he is, you know, a marvelous photographer. And uh, he's a wonderful teacher. And very different than I am. Uh, Aaron's very, you know, has a great sense of authority. He was very much involved with the abstract expressionists. Uh, so he knew the whole art scene. Uh, he's a very limited technician. When I went to Europe, I uh, bought a Leica for him, and uh, he just loaned it to students. He never did learn how to use it. When you went to Europe in 54? Yeah. And uh, he owned it, but I, I don't think he shot 10 rolls. Well, hmm. or if they did, if he did, he suppressed them. Uh, he was very deliberate. As a teacher, you know, we were a very good team. So what was the program like then when you, when you came back? And what, was there an active graduate degree offered yes. at that point? Oh, yes. That yeah, had yeah, I had started. I actually, uh, that actually started, I think the first graduate 
was a guy named Bernstein who graduated, I think, in about 52. He had actually been a student at the school when I was there. First graduate degree? Yeah. I'm trying to get you the list of them. Yeah, we can get that and supplement it uh, yeah. with that. But, uh, well, for example, um, you know, what at that point was one of the very few places giving a graduate degree. That's right. Um, was it always an MS? Always. And is there any special reason why it's that instead of... Yeah, there's no art thought there. There's no art department, per se. No. It's a scientific and technologically oriented institute. And the Institute of Design, in a funny way, has always been slightly out of place there. The architecture department is much more logical that it be there. Mm -hmm. And having the Institute of Design did add something but there was never any relationship between the architecture and the Institute of Design. At one point, the Institute of Design actually had an architectural department. That's where Bucky taught. Prior to joining IIT, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. And we had Conrad Waxman, you see, on the faculty post joining IIT. Conrad being one of the world's great architectural engineers. Hmm. So is it... And Chermayev, you must remember, was an architect, and so was Conrad. So was the uh, was it a kind of an uneasy alliance in a lot of ways? Is that what you're probably oh, saying? Oh, yeah. It was never properly supported. And it's, it's never been properly it's supported. It's true today. That's what you're it's today. absolutely true today. This, the idea is it's, there's some question in my mind whether it's going to survive at all. So what were the, in terms of a graduate the, program... The president who succeeded Heald was a man named Ritaliana, who was, uh, to my way of thinking, rather uh, limited engineer brain, who was able to get the business community to give them a, quite a bit of money to build buildings. And the role, the function of IIT has been to sort of fill middle-level management and scientific research in the Chicago area. It has not produced, you know, the kind of person that goes graduates MIT and becomes the chairman of the board in the main. Or the great scientist. Uh, or, well, they've done some interesting, they've had some pretty good. Done better in that area. Yeah, but uh, they have some strong, fairly strong departments like the physics department, math department, theoretical. But mainly it's directed towards the pragmatic sign, uses of science has been. Now I think the drive is to consolidate because there aren't the great number of pupils to actually heighten Dr. Martin, I would say, is trying to knock off a lot of peripheral things, like they did knock off engineering graphics. They've knocked off uh, what was called the E3 program, a very widespread uh, program of trying to deal with the learning of physics and chemistry and mechanics and engineering by giving a general problem and having a group work on it, which sort of came in in the 60s. I think he knocked that off. I think what they're trying to do is really upgrade the whole scientific uh, commitment, mm. both in by narrowing it and raising it, I think. That seems to be the strategy. And uh, ID really is in very sense. sad shape. Well, the, the you know, I don't want to be negative about the teachers there, but they're a sorry lot. Most of the teachers in the ID. Yeah, they're left, and many of them have emotional problems, and uh, uh, 
the photography department is excellent, has been excellent all along. Let's go back and let me ask this question. And when you came in and it was you and Aaron, mm -hmm. um, essentially, what what did it take to get a graduate degree? How long did it take? Were there particular structures in the course, or, or what was well, it, what was it like? Well, with Harry there, uh, I think what you did was batch of pictures. Uh, when I got there, there was some writing, I think, but I began to emphasize the thesis too because I was teaching history. See, Aaron never taught any history. There was no history. Mm -hmm. And I put a great deal of emphasis on that. Also, Aaron had no particularly, uh, was very limited to the kind of art photography that he did. Whereas I was very skilled, uh, you know, in many other areas, which the students appreciated. Also, because they had to learn a living. Uh, also, you know, there wasn't anything I couldn't do technically, whereas Aaron could do what he could do very well, namely use a 4x5 camera and make some beautiful prints. And that never varied. So did you institute like a color, a technical No, not at that point. That came a little bit later down the line. Uh, no, the, at that point Aaron was... You know, in charge, but have beginning to have difficulties with the administration. They thought he was in, you know, kind of independent. And during the end of the '60s, you know, with a lot of student political agitation going on, somehow they got the idea. I think that Aaron was involved in some of that. Would have made some sense if he was. It well, it would have, excepting I don't think he was. It was a period uh, that was quite mixed up because, you know, the 60s agitation, the Vietnam War. One of the best, most exciting things that uh, occurred at, uh, there was uh, a student protest where they planted the whole uh, empty space on State Street with white crosses in this empty space, a couple hundred of them. And then somebody in the faculty, uh, probably a man named Montague, was... Um, went and uprooted them that night because the administration, as I understand this, may be apocryphal, told them to get rid of them. You know, so there was that kind of, you know, underbelly rest, unrest. Um, there was conflict already between, uh, as there always had been, between visual designers um, and photographers, there, there was a continually battle, continual battle, all along from the very beginning of the Bauhaus of trying. And one of my fights, you see, always has been to keep the photography department from becoming a service department to either visual or product design. I had the same fight in the, well, uh, in the I was going to say in the Air Corps, you know, to constantly hold down those people that wanted to exploit the photography department for their own reasons, mm -hmm. rather than us doing the job we were supposed to do. Right, yeah, it's always and It's a constant battle you have, if you're aware of it. Because it's easy, you see, you get, you get a lot of friendship points, brownie points, by doing favors for people, or you allow the camera club to come and use your uh, Et facilities. Et yeah, but that's very dangerous stuff, and stupid. Mm -hmm. Let them get their own darkroom. You know, it's a different function. And these things like this have caused me a lot of trouble standing up for, you know, preventing encroachment on photography. Mm -hmm. So in the time... And one of my battles here, you know, after 
while Aaron was still there, I guess uh, they appointed a guy named, um, they appointed a teacher who was supposed to do color photography, only the visual designers got him appointed. And he was a dope, you know, in terms of making photographs or understanding photography. But they wanted their students to learn color photography so they could make composites in color, you know, or use photography in their layouts. Mm -hmm. And this guy was theoretically in the photo department? Yeah, well, he was. He Who was his? His name was Martin. Finally, he was one of the guys after Aaron. And Aaron didn't fight too much, you see. And when I got there and afterwards, I got rid of him. I mean, I've always been kind of a fighter for what I really believe, whereas it's much easier, you see, to do your own work, not get involved, and uh, yeah, go along. Go along. It's like Congress, you know, you get along by going along. Yeah. Shall we? Uh... Yes, Is there a message? It's always very complicated, you see. People think there was a very, it was all very simple, but like all human enterprises like education, it's very, very complicated to sort out what was going on at a given moment. The pupils are different with each class. The teacher, you know, the teachers change. The amount of money available for chemicals changes or apparatus. Uh, have there been any trends in any of those things? Well, yes, again, with Aaron, he allowed uh, the uh, equipment, you know, to run down. When I got there and I later on, I actually fought to get equipment, and we did get equipment, a whole bunch of new cameras, tripods. Um, uh, that is not uh, Aaron's strength. His strength lies in other areas. Aaron was you know, very instrumental in talking with students, you know, and uh, our seminars together, of which you can hear some, those I have recorded. I mean, they're terrific, Aaron and I compliment each other. I'm a terrific analyst of photographs, images, and Aaron has got a real gut feeling for things that I, you know, just admire intensely. Mm -hmm. So it's a real good team. Oh, it was a terrific team. Those students that had both of us, we're really, you know, we're getting something. Well, now you said, I think yesterday, that when Aaron, that when Aaron retired, as it were, that he didn't know he was retiring. That's right. Well, it came as a great surprise to Aaron. Aaron was getting, I think, $11,000. And uh, he became 65, and according to Aaron, uh, practically the first word that he got that he was retiring was when he got invited to the retirement party. Cause, you know, where every couple of the old teachers get together and uh, uh, spread their anxieties. Uh, I never go to those things. I don't go to graduations. And I mean, I was asked this year to be the representative of ID in the graduation ceremonies, and I said, no, thanks. Thanks for the honor, but no thanks. So. Aaron in 71, I guess, at the end of 71. No, I think he left in 70, wasn't it? Could be. I, I, I think 70. Maybe it was maybe. a 70, 71 school year. Maybe yeah. he heard at the beginning of the year yeah. or something. I don't know. Um, so Aaron leaves. Yeah. Or is, 
in a sense, almost not exactly kicked out, but... He's forced to retire, he's, yeah. He's, he's out. Yeah, and the group that was running the school and the administration is happy to get rid of him. Now... So he goes to... Then he goes to RISD, yeah. where Harry is delighted to get him. Sure. And there he starts, you know, really doing something about the graduate program, formalizing it, you know, in the basis really of our ID program. Mm -hmm. And what had been the graduate program kind of was, as I understand it, was the people coming to Harry's, you know, drinking beer once a month, where Harry'd say, I like it or I don't like it. Uh -huh. uh, so Aaron kicks his whole thing up, and then Harry, you know, shifts, gets rid of more responsibility by bringing a fellow that was a student at the ID, you know, in the 40s, Bert Beaver, who worked for um, McLean's magazine up in Canada, and makes him, you know, administrative director, at least. Okay, so Aaron is gone. Yeah. You and he were a great balance, a great combination. Uh -huh. And now it's like, there's a vacuum there, in a sense, and that seems to have never been filled. Or well, no, but I bring in people like Gary Winogrand. Gary Winogrand's as powerful a teacher as you'll ever want to see. He's too powerful. Now, he was your... I mean, he would ruin any... If he were just the only teacher, like he is at Texas, I doubt that it can be a good program. That is a program of any uh, diversity. He was there for... Gary is so... Well, people... I wanted to bring Gary one point but people said no he'll never leave new york and i didn't know gary i just knew his photography so i said well the hell with that i'll maybe he's ready well i first called him and he didn't want to come out of new york but then i kind of talked to him and uh, you know talked about the advantages of time time free time and uh, getting out of new york maybe it's time to get out of new york and uh, so he came in 74 or so? Somewhere around 73, 74. Oh, no, no, it was in 70, uh, 71, 72 he was here. Because I remember seeing him here right after Aaron left, fairly soon after Aaron Well, left. I wanted to, you know, get another powerful teacher. And did you try and make some other effort to get someone on a permanent basis? And were there other people who just Well, didn't we didn't say that Gary was not there on a permanent basis. But he only stayed one year, didn't he? I can't remember whether it was one or two years. But he certainly had a powerful effect on the student body. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took me, uh, you know, a year or two years after he left, we were still debating, you know, many of the... Uh, the Gary had few ideas, but they were powerfully presented. Very, he's very clear, you know, and they were well written up. Uh, but uh, he wrecked a lot of photographers uh, well they became imitation Gary's and that's what I object to very violently I object to imitation Callahan's Gary's any imitations I think photography should be taught and I like the idea of having powerful people I've always tried to get powerful people so that in the my ideal school as I think I talked to not on the tape was to bring together maybe five or six powerful teachers so that the students would be confused. Any student that you know, goes to school and is not confused most of the time is going to a bad school. So do you, do you think that that's, a, I mean, that's not the situation now? No, clearly. no. no. Uh, I mean, you're clearly a much stronger person than anyone else who's teaching. That's quite true. Uh, 
part of that is due to the fact that well, it's all a mixture of administrative problems and money problems and the changing ID and IIT. It's too complicated to go into. But the, but uh, John Grimes was my assistant, and then I became a teacher. You know, and he was part of the administration, still is. Uh, David, I wanted to expand the color when I saw that was coming. So again, I tried to find out who in the hell was any good in color technically, and that is a technical area. And I asked Beaumont Newhall if he had any recommendations, and he mentioned David Rathbun, who has been with Edit Porter for five years as his printer and assistant. So I called David, and David was also offered a job with the school, New England School of Photography, Photography which awesome. was being run then, about then, I guess, by Sway, who was a graduate of the Institute of Design. And... Uh, they offered him really, I think, more money, but I, I simply asked uh, David what he wanted. Well, he wanted certain kinds of things, including that ultimately would teach a course in dye transfer, get the equipment to teach dye transfer. And, and uh, I said, to the best of my ability, I'll try and get you what you want. And then I did get him a good salary, better than the New England offered him, I think. And David's been very happy here, and he's been a great addition. We probably teach, you know, a marvelous color course compared to anybody around. Now, it somewhat, was somewhat lacking. That's one of the reasons I wanted somebody like um, Patty Carroll, who's more artistically oriented somehow. David is very West Coast-ish still, mm. you know, classic kind of color thing. And uh, he came to my history lectures for about two years. He's learned a great deal about photography. He worked, you know, in labs in New York and then at Porter and was a divinity student, I think it, it was Yale, was it? Uh, anyway, he doesn't know too much about art, hmm. and uh, he, but he's learning. And Patty doesn't know too much about technique, so she's learning, hmm. and that's a good mix. John Grimes is very positive about, you know, lots of things, but he's learning. What do you think about the criticism that's made of a lot of schools of hiring their own graduates? I mean, that's, that's always an issue in academic Right, circles. so my, uh, generally speaking, I think it's a bad idea. And you have two graduates, though. Or, that's right, okay. but they, the one graduate went and taught at Michigan and, and has taught at Oakland. Patty. Patty, yeah. And John Grimes, um, I think very definitely, she would be a better teacher if he had been elsewhere. I mean, simply doesn't have the breadth that uh, exposure to different uh, idea systems give you, gives you as teacher. And uh, even in his own work, I've uh, tried to uh, encourage him to do his own work. He's now begun to do his own work, some very beautiful architectural things, and he'll undoubtedly, without a doubt, get a grant at some point to start documenting the boulevard system, you know, of Chicago by Olmsted. You know, or anonymous buildings of the prairie and other schools around. I mean, John will be all right. He has to, you know, be a little, well, everybody has their limits. We also had Ken Biasco, who just left, you see. And I pointed out to him the job at Dallas, mm -hmm. and he's left. The reason he left was because you have a rule there of, you know, if you're an assistant professor for seven years and get turned down for tenure, you you're to, out, have yeah. to leave. So he was up for that this year. 
and I saw this job available. He's, he's got a much better job than anybody. He's got a quarter million dollar budget, a president who's interested in doing something about the photography area, a nice place for his kids to go to school instead of some slum school, and, uh, you know, just marvelous. Yeah. And uh, that was good. But Ken taught a wonderful foundation course. On the upper levels, he was practically useless to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the real, the real problem, I guess, in terms of this, comes on the graduate level, where it seems like um, you're really the only person who's capable of really dealing on the graduate level. Yeah. And that, um, whereas, you know, that that whereas before, like when Aaron or Gary was here, but, uh, do you see any any relief? And I mean, you think that's is, that the school is going to is going to be able to to fill this vacuum and to create what it needs? It's very difficult. There aren't 10 good teachers in the United States. There are hundreds of teachers. I defy you to tell me. I mean, I've had, I keep having people come in and lecture, like Bob Heineken. It's not that I, you know, believe that Heineken is the ultimate photographer. It's because Bob Heineken is a very bright, astute, knowing person as a teacher. Uh, I've had Arnold Crane come in, you know, lecture about aspects of his collection or something. Uh, what we used to have, you see, was when Bullock came in when Aaron and I were there and Fred Summers came. We haven't had that, but I did bring in, say, last spring I brought in uh, Leslie Crims. Leslie Crims was, for a week, was paid enormous amount of money. I'm not sure that, I mean, and the students weren't interested after the second day. And he didn't not, you know, in a sense prepare. He was available, but he didn't prepare. He, he is a very, he's as limited, you know, as a teacher as Gary is. Gary is much, well, Gary's much wider, I think, because the subject matter that he deals with yeah. is much wider. Yeah, but they both have, you know, a fixed point of view in photography. I'll see you in a little while. Okay.